Welcome to the Leap Health in the Workplace podcast. Leap Health empowers individuals and organizations to improve both their physical and mental health. In this podcast, we explore innovative, bespoke, proven health solutions that will improve both your personal and professional productivity and happiness. I'm Anna Reddy. Let's get ready to make small steps to Leap Health. So welcome to the podcast today. I'm extremely excited to welcome our guest, Annie Townend. Annie Townend is a leadership partner and coach to executive teams and senior leaders, author, facilitator, entrepreneur, and importantly, a fellow podcaster of Leaders in Conversation with Annie Townend. With more than 30 years experience, Annie has built a strong reputation of unlocking leadership confidence capability and performance in organizations across various markets. She's also written extensively on the topics of assertiveness and diversity in the workplace. Wow, that is a lot. (laughs) That is a lot to to let you all know about. Um, But however, on a personal note, I've actually worked with Anna and I've seen the power of her work. So it's not just all about the credentials, I've seen it personally and it's actually had a huge impact on my life. So I'm absolutely thrilled to have Annie here today on Leap Health in the Workplace podcast. So thank you so much, Annie, for joining us today. I can't wait to get chatting. Thank you, Anna. Well, I'm thrilled to be here on your podcast, having had you on my podcast talking about your life and leadership and what has inspired and encouraged you. Yeah, that was great to be on your podcast. So thank you for inviting me. Um, and that's yeah, I would encourage anyone to have a listen to that as well. As Annie said, as I sorry, I said, Annie's podcast is Leave Leaders in Conversation with Annie Townend. Um, so let's get started. So Annie, I alluded to that you've got 30 years experience working with senior leaders and helping shape them. That is an incredible achievement to think of how many people you've actually helped. Now I'm going to put you on the spot, Anna. How many do you think you've actually helped? Have you got an idea of numbers over the 30 years that you've actually helped? I don't, Anna. <laughs> One of my strengths is not in numbers. <laughs> Suffice to say, um, I am really fortunate that I found my passion and purpose very early on in my 20s when I was invited to participate in some group work by a dear friend. The group work was happening over a weekend. So I was doing something I'd never, ever done before. And I remember sitting in the circle of people feeling both very scared and totally safe at the same time. And what I was able to do in that circle was to speak openly about myself and feel listened to and understood. The leader of that group was a man called John Heron, and I I experienced him and described him then and now as an elegant facilitator. And in that moment of experiencing this safety, I knew that that's what I wanted to become. I wanted to become an elegant facilitator, and I knew that I'd found my passion and purpose. And it it was something which I've then worked on, studied, and knew that I wanted to help leaders, senior leaders in organisations, create cultures of care and connection in which people feel safe 
to express and be themselves, no matter who they are or where they're from, and to be able to have and to enjoy open conversations. Thank you, Anna. And the way you described that really brought back the feelings that I experienced when I, you know, worked with you. And you do have, you naturally do have this aura around you of calm and safety. Um, and people do feel you know, safe to show their vulnerabilities and, and really understand, understand themselves deeper. So, yeah, that was a, a lovely you know, explanation and I can really vouch that that, that, is, that is how I felt when I, when I spent time with you as well. Well, I'm, I'm really glad you did feel that, Anna, because that is my ambition when I'm preparing to work with a senior team like I was with yourselves as a, as a team of leaders. I think about how do I want people to feel and I want you to feel seen, heard and understood. That's the impact that I want to have. And I want to be the leader who creates that that environment in which you can be yourself and have the conversations that you need and want to have. And I often feel as if I'm stepping into the unknown just as I did when I stepped into that room and I saw and I remember this the circle of chairs all those years ago remembering thinking oh this is different and I know people say that to me I never use slides it's all about the conversation it's all about sitting side by side and of course as you know standing up if you can and being able to move as well which I'm sure we'll come to in our conversation today. Definitely let's hold that thought right there and wait for <laughs> wait for the conversation to progress. Um, but yeah, I love how you're saying that it's about pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, but feeling safe at the same time. Um, and organizations as data to show that organizations who employees do feel like they can be heard and like they can speak up are far more successful than those that don't. And particularly in our new world of working, when working in all different situations, it's more important than ever for you know individuals to feel like they can speak up within organizations. So thank you for that. So we're going to move on to, you know, I've got another question for you, which leads on seamlessly from the conversation we've just had. Um, walking is my medicine, quotes Annie Townend. I personally absolutely love this, totally agree. And, you know, my work, a lot of my work is around getting people a little bit more active and prioritising the health, the health, sorry. Um, tell us a little bit more about this, will you, and how you've incorporated this into the world of senior executives? Because often, you know, these senior executives think they're very, very important and have too much work to get off the bottom and move around during the working day. So tell me a bit more about how you achieve that, please. The phrase... Walking is my medicine is uh, one that my father used to say, and I really do believe that it was true for him. When he stopped being able to walk, that was, as he would have said, the beginning of the end, uh, and it was. So I was born and brought up in Yorkshire, and this is where I'm a Yorkshire lass, and this is where I learned to walk and talk and to enjoy some of the best times, either walking on my own when I would be walking and working something out in my own mind or walking and talking with my dad, who when I was growing up, I had a very difficult relationship with. However, 
when we walked, we found our rhythm together. And often, being in Yorkshire, we were walking into head-on rain on the Pennines. And so I learned also about walking in silence together. Uh, we both wore glasses. So the combination of rain and fog and not being able to see very far meant that we had to stay close. And indeed, they were some of the, the closest times as I was growing up. Later on in life, my father moved to live close to me and we rekindled that closeness and deepened it. But for as long as I can remember, Anna, I've incorporated walking and talking into my work, the side by side conversation. And you'll remember this from when we worked together, my gathering the group together, creating the, the safe environment, our sitting in a circle, and then my giving you a couple of questions and inviting you to pair up with somebody else and to go for a walk and talk. And then when you returned to the group, back to the circle, to sit with the person you'd been walking and talking with and to share something back from your conversation without breaking any confidentiality of what you might have shared in the pair that you wouldn't necessarily want to share in the whole group having I suppose moved through something that what you bring back to the group is the the essence of where you've got to so in my own one-to-one -one work, my executive coaching, I incorporate both the in-person walk and talk where I live. I'm really fortunate to live on the South Downs Way now, not on the Pennine Way, but on the South Downs Way. So some of the walk and talks I do in person where leaders come to, to me. Other times I'm walking here on the South Downs Way and they are walking somewhere else in the world, wherever that might be. In addition, um, I'm pa as well as being passionate about this and wanting to share this way of working, three or four times a year, myself and two colleagues, Natalie Shering, who I know you know, and Lucy Kidd, we run a walking partnerships day. And we invite people who are looking and asking the question you're asking me, how do I incorporate this into my leadership every day? And we share with a group of invited people, leaders, how they can incorporate the walk and talk, the side by side conversation into their leadership, into their team meetings, into their work every day. Thank you, Annie. Thank you. And I think you've given probably a lot of people a lot of motivation and reason to incorporate that walk and talk and, you know, use walking as your medicine. Um, Absolutely. When you, know. you can. And I'm really aware, Anna, that not everybody can walk and talk. And so I also refer to this as the side by side conversation and the importance simply of maybe sitting outside together side by side so that there is that sense of being together and of being in connection and conversation. I know a number of people have said, and certainly this is true 
of, of me. And I will go on to talk about some of the people and the places that have shaped me. But sitting in the car with one or other of my daughters, some of the, the big conversations and other people report this to me. Some of their biggest conversations have been when they've been driving in their car side by side with one or other or more of their friends and or if they have children perhaps their children too that's such a good point and I can really you know relate to that as well I know as a busy mom with three kids it can be quite frantic and I'm not always as calm as possibly I should be um but I always think a transition time somewhere is a really good time just to calm down a little bit you know when you're driving somewhere and just spend that one-on-one time talking talking to the child and so yeah I think that side by side is really powerful Um, and often it's overlooked in companies isn't it often when you do reviews or check-ins it's always right really face-to-face making you know really really (laughs) focused eye contact all the time and it can be quite intimidating and I think you know that is something that really leaders should take away is that you get more out of people if you're having those side-by-side conversations because they feel more they feel more comfortable really don't they to speak about it um but yeah also getting that fresh air is it's powerful it's really really powerful isn't it to to clear your mind um and yeah it's all about in this new world of working where everything seems to be on zoom teams um we need to be a little bit more forceful in terms of asking those questions does this meeting have to be like this or could we do it, you know, another way, walking, talking, side by side? Yeah, yeah. and but- even if we're not in the same location, the power of walking and talking, if you're able to, with yeah. headphones on, I'm striding out here on the South Downs Way, and the other person is where they are. This practice of moving if and when you can and of pausing and stopping for breath and the science behind that as you know is is really compelling I think that we are greatly helped it reminds us to breathe more deeply and to be outside to feel the even if we're sitting side by side to feel the air on our face to to notice to to raise our awareness certainly certainly yeah and the data you know some quite strong data behind creativity and moving and fresh air as well and productivity um so yeah I love that thank you for for those reminders um and I guess you know if you're the one saying let's have this walk and talk meeting let's use walking as our medicine um you are in a phrase that I absolutely love is making health contagious um and that's what it's all about and I believe Anna you have been making health contagious for a lot longer than other people because it was a <laughs> long time ago um, that we worked together and you know, the, the difference in terms of being able to get up and move in a meeting and having those side-by-side conversations is really powerful. So, yeah, you've been ahead of the game <laughs> for a long time. So thank you for that. Thank you. So, um, so we're just, you know, leading, leaving, you know, the leaders aside and things for a moment. So I just want you to think about, you know, who are the people that have had the biggest impact on you today? That is a big question. And there are many, many people, places and experiences that have had a huge impact on who I am today. I've chosen to share with you becoming a mother 
to Fern, my oldest daughter, 33 years ago, and to Sophia 25 years ago, has definitely been, this would be another of my dad's phrases, the making of me. Rather like knowing I wanted to become a facilitator, business psychologist, coach to senior leaders, I knew I wanted to become a mum. And it wasn't a straightforward journey for me. So the experience of becoming pregnant and then discovering that it was an ectopic pregnancy at over three months was devastating and indeed life-threatening. This experience and a further two ectopic pregnancies definitely have shaped me and made me who I am in that I feel I have been shaped by my losses, as well as the huge joy I feel every day, Anna, that I am a mum and a gratitude that I am alive. So I do live every day in a very powerful way because I have come so close to the edge, um, as, as I mentioned. I've always been drawn to health and well-being and the importance of looking after ourselves So when I had the ectopic pregnancies, I felt that my body had betrayed me and it took me some time literally to find my feet again, to to trust in myself again. Throughout that time, previous to it and throughout that time and and since, uh, my family, my friends, therapists, and colleagues have helped me along the way, supported and challenged me and encouraged me to be me. And for all of those people and the places that I've met people in, walked with them, talked with them, sat with them, felt supported by them, encouraged and challenged, I'm hugely, hugely grateful. Wow, thank you so much. And thank you for sharing that. I didn't know all of that. So, you know, really grateful that you've shared that with us and I think there's probably people listening now who can relate to that and find comfort that you've been through you know such a lot and yet seen the positive side and being able to turn that around so thank you and I you know, can relate to a little bit in terms of the struggles of conceiving as well um but yeah thank you for sharing that and yeah anyone listening now that's just a reminder that we can always find strength in, in what we do and have a positive outcome so thank you Anna and strength from other people you know I don't think when I think about confidence and resilience you know I had found a confidence in myself um, prior to the first ectopic pregnancy and in my body and as a, a woman and that first ectopic pregnancy really knocked the stuffing out of me you know I was shaken to my core I didn't know anybody else who had had an ectopic pregnancy I had you know no idea what it meant or how very dangerous it was and it took me a long time not only to become physically strong again but also to find my confidence in myself to trust as I mentioned to trust myself again and none of that could I have done 
on my own without the support of of friends of family and indeed of of therapy as well to help me to hold my losses and to be able to find my confidence again and my resilience and I often think that confidence and resilience go together I didn't bounce back resilience wasn't about bouncing back I was changed by those experiences and when you said you were going to ask me about what has shaped me made me who I am I consciously chose to talk about becoming a mum because I knew I really wanted that and I didn't know that it was going to be so difficult and so I do rejoice in that every day that I am a mum to two amazing daughters who inspire and encourage and believe in me. That's wonderful isn't it and it's so um, you know, reassuring as well when you have you know your children that are believing in you as well and giving you that that confidence and resilience um you know and giving that to you but I think yeah that's a really key point that you made as well it's not just about bouncing back all the time it's about growing and learning from your experiences um and yeah what whatever life throws at you I think that's really admirable as well that you're looking for people who can help you that you reach out for help and don't just think you've got to go it alone because we don't always have to you know, be coping all the time. We are all human and it's particularly in the world that we're in now, it's important to show our vulnerability um, and reach out to people that can help us. So thank you, Anna. So as you've probably touched a little bit on this, um, but you know, in your work, you talk a lot about values, you focus on what are your values. Um, but what are yours and what do you stand for, Anna, and what do you lean on? So this was an easy question to prepare for because I do think about my values every day and I'm ready for the day by connecting with what I stand for. And the values I stand for are kindness, courage and generosity and honesty. The first three, kindness, courage and generosity, are like touchstones for me that I remind myself that at my best that's what I bring and that's what I stand for. The first one, kindness, is something that I remember my great aunt Dorothy uh, showing to me. She always welcomed me into her home. She met me where I was at and that was really important for me as I was growing up as a troubled teenager that I had this great aunt who always, when she opened the door, welcomed me in, met me where I was at. She was someone who challenged me to be myself as I was navigating those tricky teenage years. And in addition, both of my grandmas were very kind to me in their different ways. Uh, My father's mother would say to me, I believe in you, you'll be all right. And again, that phrase, you'll be all right. So even when things are really difficult, the belief of somebody else in me really matters. And I wouldn't be here today if other people along the way hadn't believed in me when perhaps my own self-belief was wavering. So 
another person who I haven't mentioned, but in the world of work, who is very much a mentor to me, is Steve Radcliffe, whose work is what I shared with you, the, the future engaged deliver approach to leadership. And he's been a great encourager. And I wouldn't have met you, Anna, without him saying, you know, you believe you really love working um, with health practitioners in the pharmaceutical industry. This invitation to go and meet the client is yours, Annie. And, uh, you know, without his encouragement and belief in me, I perhaps wouldn't have met you. But he, I've been encouraged by by him. In terms of courage, uh, some years ago, I came across something uh, that one of my daughters had been given to complete a form, series of questions. And one of the questions was, who is the bravest, most courageous person that you know? And she had written, my mum. And I am courageous. Um, I do think that if we create that safe environment in which we can be open and honest, we can be courageous. And it takes courage to be vulnerable, to be open, to be honest. And at the same time, of course, to think about the impact we have on others. So when I then go on to think about honesty, it's not about saying anything without consideration for how it lands so being considerate in being courageous is really important to me when I talk about generosity I mean generosity of spirit of being open-minded and curious I am passionately curious about people and places I always have been I think that is very much my trademark I was curious about my inner world. I was curious about the outer world. I've always been curious in the world and have a sense of everything being connected and that what I do matters, which comes with a lot of responsibility, which I felt for a long time. But I do believe individually and together we can make a difference so that sense of generosity is is really important to me uh, along with being honest uh, in part this comes from I mentioned being a Yorkshire lass you know people did say it how it was most of the time and you knew when they weren't and I always felt safer and continue to feel safer to this day when people are straight with me so I might not always like uh, what I hear, but I'd rather know where I stand with someone than feel insecure around not knowing and not being sure of, of where we are. So I invite that kind of conversation. Thank you. Yes. And I think you know, that is as, as a Lancashire lass, you're a Yorkshire lass. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I value that honesty as well. And I value that straight talking. Um, so, so you know where you're up to with people. I've got a question for you now, Anna. Just, this isn't, uh, we haven't planned this at all. But I'm going to ask you this question. Did you feel um, more proud? Would you feel more prouder? Your child actually saying that my mother is the most courageous person I know or a leader that you'd work with? I think I know what my answer would be, but go on, uh, I'd like to know your thoughts. 
I think it's a both and Anna for me. Yeah. You know, I am very proud to have found my passion and purpose so early on. And it does take courage to be a leader, mm. to lead with vulnerability, to be open and honest, to to ask questions that you don't know the answer to, to not know and to ask for help, uh, to share a, a weakness, to to be in that situation. And I do talk about that robust vulnerability that comes with being courageous. And it meant a lot to me when I read uh, my mum was the most courageous person that my daughter knew. I think coupled with that, what also made me feel so proud was when one of my daughters, when they were in their teenage years, also said to a friend of theirs round the kitchen table, you can trust my mum with anything. You can tell her anything and she won't tell anybody else. And again, both in my personal life, but also in my professional life, I know that leaders can trust me for confidentiality. In fact, it's one of the reasons people seek me out, because they know they can trust me for that. And I do hold that very close uh, and feel very privileged. So your question is a good one and it speaks to me because I realised that my personal and my professional are very interwoven. So who I am and what I stand for, I describe it and I think of Lancashire when I describe this, they run through me like a stick of rock. So as children, we would go over to your side of uh, the country and we'd go to Morecambe or Blackpool for listeners who don't know both both on the west coast of England and uh, we would be treated to a stick of rock which has that writing in that runs right through it and that's who I am and how I am really Anna is that I feel proud of both uh, in equal measure and of course there's a, a different feeling as well but in terms of the both and yeah thank yeah thank you and I guess from 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 my side what always really came to mind is that you know we can display all these um values and things in the workplace but for it actually to be recognized at home really shows that these values are true to you they're, they're present in your professional and your personal life you are authentic and if your children are recognising that in your home life, you are really authentic. And the fact that they recognise that at a young age is really powerful. And um, anyone listening to this now, I'd really pick up on what Annie just said about that sticker rock. Think about what your values are <laughs> and think what runs through that sticker rock. I'm certainly going to be remembering that sticker rock, sticker rock particularly as a, as a Lancashire lass. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It also reminds me, Anna, that... I did some, I said, I said about being passionately curious. I'm a lifelong learner. I love learning about new things, different things. I was on a course and stayed with a friend for a few days whilst on it. And on her fridge, she had a fridge magnet, which said, who you are at home is who you are. 
And I really liked that. And it, again, it speaks to that stick of rock of the values, the beliefs, your sense of purpose and passion running through you like a stick of rock wherever you are. Brilliant. Brilliant. One quick question before I move on to the next one. Would you go with Yorkshire tea or Lancashire tea? I'm from Lancashire, but I prefer Yorkshire tea. Well, fortunately, I don't drink either. <laughs> oh. uh, but I do drink green tea, and that doesn't come from either. I haven't found Yorkshire green tea or Lancashire green tea yet. No, I don't know. Traitor. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyway, let's not diversify talking about tea. <laughs> um, so anyway, on to a little bit more of a sensitive note now. Um, last time we spoke, you you know, kindly shared with me about the recent loss of your mother. Um, and I appreciate this has been a really, really difficult time for you. But you've courageously said that we should touch on it today. Um, and many people listening will have experienced loss and grief in different ways. So I think it will be really comforting if you can share your thoughts, maybe. Um, and when we spoke about it, we had a little bit of a chat around boundaries as well. Um, so let's touch on that that as well you know kind of taking your time to accept what's happening and how much you want to disclose to people um but yeah tell us your thoughts a little bit Annie and um let's have a little conversation around this thank you Anna my beloved mum died a few days before the queen um at her home which is where she wanted to die a retirement home close to where I live and where she'd lived for nine years it was what she wanted she wanted to to die there and she died with my sister Claire and I by her side and that was and is such an honour to have been there when she took her last breath to be able to hold her and one for which I will always, always be very grateful. Um, when it came to saying a few words at her funeral, I decided to write her a thank you letter and to read it out. Um, my mum was a stickler for a thank you letter. Uh, a phone call would not do. She herself had very beautiful handwriting. She sent lovely cards to people and she wrote wonderful letters. And I have a love of writing and of reading and in particular of writing uh, letters to people. And I have her to thank for her courage because when I look back on her life and the choices that she made at different points, she showed me how to be courageous, even though I probably hadn't appreciated her courage in her decision making and the choices she made until later on in life. I, I can also thank her for showing me how to love. I felt particularly in these last nine years of her life where we sat together side by side and had conversations she showed me how to to love how to live as an elderly person and indeed how to die you mentioned Anna boundaries and I experience myself and the word I use for this and it, it's not my word is boundarying which is a bit of a mouthful but I am 
always boundarying between the personal and the private and managing grief in a very particular way, knowing that I'm grieving and that grief comes in waves for me, my experience of grief, and that sometimes the experience of grief is very private and in being true to myself and to others, I'll not talk about it at all. Other times, it may be that I want to share the more private at the same time as being or finding a way of being personal without necessarily being private. So that edge between the personal and the private, and I notice it for myself, but I also notice it in my work with leaders who are looking to be personal in their leadership but equally managing the private. And I'm always humbled that that's what we're all doing. And a few months ago, I had the privilege of participating, part of my love of learning and curiosity, in an improvisation workshop. And that no matter how well we plan or prepare for something, when we meet people, when we're in conversation, we are to a certain extent, always improvising. So understanding that I am with my grief and will be navigating that grief for some time to come and that it will come and go in waves and that sometimes I will be able to talk about my experiences and other times I won't. And that's the way it is, is a great comfort to me um, as I go forward. Thank you, Annie. Thank you. And talk so much sense. Um, and I think that's probably comforting for a lot of people. And to take forward those things in lots of different life events, I think, as well. And I think, like you said, if, if you do get too rigid on the way that you're going to deal with things, that can hinder us. And sometimes we just have to go with life and go with our feelings and, you know, see it as those waves. There will be calms and there will be waves in life. And we've just got to go with the way that we're feeling um, and also creating that private personal space as well you know, in your work life, in your home life and knowing those people, like you said, you know, confidentiality is a big one of your you know, skills, well, skills or beliefs. Um, but, you know, being able to create that space for people where they trust you and, and they can talk to you is, is is a powerful thing so thank you um, and I, I also picked up on as well how later in life you look back on things a little bit differently don't you and like you said you appreciate the decisions that your mum made were courageous and and they were for the right thing to do and I think that's something that comes with age isn't it when you reflect on things that have happened in your life and you just understand things a little bit more whereas maybe you know when you're in your teenage years or a bit younger you just can't understand until you've had those life experiences but it's nice to reflect on those things and you understand people more with age because definitely it, it, you know you, you can help you yeah know, think back and, and realize what what would you have done in those situations so well it certainly you. helped me thinking about what what would I like to thank my mum for and to 
take stock of my relationship with her, but also her life and particularly her latter years where I'd been able to spend more time with her, which was really important for her and for me. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. So now that You're welcome. Part, part have been easy to share. So thank you. Well, you made it easier. So thank you. <laughs> um, so um, as a lady, we've already established this. I don't think anyone needs to know this again, but I'm going to say it again. As a lady of many strengths <laughs> and talents, um, one of those in particular is creating a safe space, which we've just touched on. Um, you know, I personally can vouch for this when I work with you in the group, we certainly did feel safe. And there's a lot of talk now, and I mentioned this in a lot of my workshops, around the importance of psychological safety um, in terms of driving well-being, but also in terms of driving results as well. If people don't feel psychologically safe, um, they're hindered. They're, they're not going to talk about the way they feel. They could have the next best idea that's going to change that organisation around, but unless they feel psychologically safe, you're never going to get that out of them. Um, you've recently developed a new collaboration equation, which sounds very exciting. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about this, please? It is exciting. And uh, it's something which I have co-created and collaborated with my colleague and friend, Lucy Kidd, on. And it came out of a number of things. A few years ago, I thought about writing a book on the seven C's, as in courage, care, collaboration, um, the seven C's of bold leadership. And one day Lucy asked me what's happened to that book. And one, I couldn't remember the seven C's. I could, but I couldn't. I thought there are too many of them. And together we thought about how we work and what we do with leaders. And what we do is help leaders create cultures of care and connection and to collaborate with each other. I was invited by um, Beto Fanari, the CEO of Alpagatas, a global company that makes Javianas for listeners who may have a pair of Javianas or more, um, to be part of their Alpa talks and to be in conversation with him uh, for one of their global conferences in which he interviewed me. I interviewed him we had a conversation and in that conversation I talked about the importance of psychological safety and how it works and through that conversation and Lucy it was that picked up on this afterwards I described the collaboration equation so it starts with psychological safety plus inclusive dialogue Language really matters and how we speak and the pronouns, the way in which we talk really matters. And therefore, inclusivity and in particular, inclusive dialogue is the next part of the equation. Plus diversity of thought and feeling. So Lucy and I initially talked about diversity of thought But then we realised as we work more and more with leaders, with the collaboration equation, that 
where we need to get even better as leaders is in enabling not only diversity of thought and creating the space to for people to think big and to think differently, the new ideas that you mentioned, but also to have diversity of feeling that any one of us can feel differently about the same situation, given our background, our stories, etc. So that diversity of thought and feeling is the third part of the equation. And all of that, psychological safety, plus inclusive dialogue, plus diversity of thought and feeling, equals collaborative edge. And that is the collaboration equation. So for anybody listening, if they would like to know more about how we work with it in organisations, with leaders and their teams, to go to my website, annietownend.com, and there's a page on the collaboration equation and a little bit more about it there. Well, thank you, Annie. And that sounds like you really encompass so many different areas to bring about something that's really, really important in terms of that collaboration. And that is really the, the way that it's moving forward in companies, isn't it? To really embrace that diversity of skills, feelings and, and thoughts um, to bring them all together to create that psychological safety. So, yeah, thank you very much. If anyone wants to know more, um, yeah, head over to Annie's website. Oh, thank you, Anna. Well, it's that, you know, we often talk about getting in organisation and business competitive edge. But actually what we need now more than ever is collaborative edge. And there's a lovely quote from permaculture gardening that growth happens at the edges. So that biodiversity that you get when you're out walking and you come to the edge of a field, if you're in the UK, for example, there's a lot going on at the edge of a field and growth, biodiversity, diversity can happen at the edges, the edge of our comfort zone, for example, where the learning takes place, the growth takes place. So if we can help leaders get to that collaborative edge through creating a psychologically safe environment, one in which people can speak using inclusive language and get through to sharing diversity of thought and feeling with each other, then collaboration will thrive and collaborative edge will be the way we do things together. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And it sounds like you know, it's a really good opportunity in this new world where we've got to really embrace everyone's diversity. So thank you. So we're coming towards the end now, Anna. Um, but before we finish, I'd just like to ask you, you know, I always talk about three small steps to leap health, but um, today it's going to be leaping leadership. So can you give our listeners, please, any three small steps that they can do to leap their leadership? Yeah. I can. And they are three small steps. And the first one is make time each day to stand still wherever you are to ground yourself in what you care about and what you stand for. Listen to your body and trust yourself. There is a quote I'd like to share with this, my first small step, which I love, which is from Vanessa Redgrave when she was at an award ceremony and she said, find your truth and your voice will follow. And this is something I remind myself of every day when I stand still. So number one, make time each day to stand still. 
Number two, in between meetings, move about. If you can get up and go outside, wherever you are, do and take a few deep breaths and notice what's around you, beneath you, above you, using all your senses and notice what's happening within you and take a deep breath. And if you're not able to go outside, then just to take that time to notice, to breathe, to listen, to look outside of yourself and to look inside. But if you're in back-to-back meetings, make them shorter, make time to get up, to move about, to hydrate. As you say, it's contagious. Health is making workplace health contagious is what matters. Related to this, in between meetings, move about and connecting with yourself is something I have spoken about severally with leaders that I got from a book on mental health, a collection of letters in which Richard Branson writes about his love of lists and the importance of having not only a to-do list, but a to-be list. So to have a to-be list and to remind yourself of your to-be list in between your meetings. Thirdly, and really importantly, when you need help, ask for it. And if you can, go for a walk and talk or side-by-side conversation with someone to help you move through whatever it is together. Thank you, Anna. Those are wonderful small steps and I'd really, really encourage anyone, anyone listening to just try them out now. After this podcast, just take time to you know, think about who you are. If you've got a meeting that someone's putting back to back, challenge it, not back on it. You know, be the orchestra in changing organisations. A lot of organisations now are starting meetings five past the hour to the hour so that making sure that you have that break in between. But, if you know, if you're not getting that break, be courageous. Say something about it. You know, don't hold back. And, yep, yeah, I love that to be, to be. Instead of to do, to do, to do to be what are you going to be so yeah try that out after this podcast and um, i hope you've enjoyed it i just want to thank Anna again for her time and knowledge and you know, sharing all the words of wisdom so thank you again Anna. Um, thank you thank you and yeah take care and if you've you know, got any ideas or suggestions for future podcasts please do get in touch okay thanks so much and take care everyone bye-bye So before you stop listening, I want you to think about how you can make health contagious. Did anything resonate in the podcast? What did you learn that was new? Did you hear something that you thought someone else would love to hear? If so, please share this podcast. Please leave me a review or please get in touch at anna at leaphealth.co.uk to learn more about how you can improve physical and mental health of individuals and those in the workplace so that everybody can feel happier and healthier and more productive. Thank you.